0: Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, stay with us as the suns gets set to shine. Here's Mary. The gar heard. Here's the jump shot. Comes to Marley. A long three. He got him. He got him. Into Booker. Here's the three. Tuesday. Sir Charles. And he flies in for a wham, bam, slam. Bravo time. Welcome to 7 Seconds or Less, a podcast about the NBA with a Phoenix Suns focus. My name is Max Bacalli, aka Podcast Boy, and I am joined as always by my co-host, his name is David Nash. David, we're back a little bit sooner this time. We
1: are back a little bit sooner. We've had a few logistical problems again, but we've uh, come back as promised, uh, and I'm Ready for this one. I've kind of got mixed feelings about it, but
0: I'm, I'm ready. Burying the lead here, even by just not bringing this up to start the podcast immediately, <laughs> uh, Igor Kokoshka was fired. Uh, David, as you all know as listeners, is Igor's fan-in-chief, I would say. <laughs> so uh, we're both going to give our takes on that, but obviously uh, the focus is going to be on David's opinion there. Uh, And then after we're done with that, we're going to get into a new weekly segment we're going to be doing, which I'm really excited about, because as you know, and I think listeners know, I'm a giant draft nerd. Yep. Uh, So we're going to start our draft prospect previews, where we're going to bring on guests to help us not only talk about the major three guys who we'll briefly talk about in uh, every episode, that's Zion, RJ, and John Morant, Mm -hmm. but also to focus uh, more in depth on three prospects, lottery-ish prospects per episode who we are kind of trying to learn more about, David. Yeah, exactly. I mean,
1: as I said, a mixed feelings for me. I've calmed down a little bit since... Uh, Igor was fired it was a fair few days ago now so I've had some time to to digest on that so as you said we'll hear a little bit more on that in a minute but yeah kind of echo your sentiment there I I love this topic we're going to spend a hell of a lot of time on it in the next little while hopefully the listeners uh, into that too and uh, first proper guest for a while as well that we're going to throw in a little bit later to talk all things draft so I'm excited for that part for sure Max.
0: All right, let's start with the part you're less excited about. (laughs) I'm going to go first. I'm going to just give my one-minute spiel uh, because I just want to get out of your way. (laughs) So, I've made no secret of my qualms with Igor this season. Yep. Uh, I thought he was slow to adjust uh, his rotations and lineups when it made sense to do so. My best example of that, the Isaiah cannon uh, Mikhail Bridges thing. Yep. Uh, It just took too long. I think he did some uh, kind of downright stupid things in games sometimes. My best example of that was playing Jamal Crawford for three straight overtimes against Washington. (laughs) But honestly, the things he needed to do, he did. Ayton got a lot better. Mikel got a lot better. Bender got a lot better. Uh, When they had a real team, once Oubre got in there, Tyler Johnson playing guard along Booker, they they had some success. They showed some promise. Uh, I think he did plainly enough for a second season, especially given that the Suns need stability. So, ultimately, I think firing him now was a mistake, especially the way they handle it. I don't know if you're going to get into that or not, but I think they handle it very, very poorly. Agreed. I understand that maybe James Jones wanted to bring his new guy in or whatever, but I, just, I don't think the way it happened was fair to Igor. I think it's kind of an unfortunate thing. Uh so overall I think it was a bad move. All right, that's it for me. David, your turn. Take the floor.
1: <laughs> As you will see, Max, I very much agree with you again on this one, but uh death by watch he copped. <laughs> Max, it was uh 9:43 Phoenix time on April 22nd or 2:43 in the afternoon for me. I I've been off sick all week. Uh, this week, not because of eagle's firing i was <laughs> I was sick before that, but I was literally i believe about to to not offer a an afternoon nap to try and get myself better when that wodge bomb broke and uh changed the course of of that day at least for me, but as you said, I promised a rant if this happened, so i'm going to keep that promise because uh, this, this may be the last time we talk about Igor on the pod, which is a, a sad thing for me to think about. But I'm, um, I doubt
0: that's the case, but go on.
1: <laughs> I want to get this one off my chest so we can uh, leave it all behind. So, Max, I, I want to preface everything I'm about to say with a few disclaimers first. So, <laughs> yes, Igor is gone. He's not coming back, guys. And dwelling on the past is not something I generally like to do. Yes, as Max said, it is now clear after James Jones' press conference and radio interview that he wanted his own man, and therefore this was pretty inevitable. Yes, I also put a lot of research into Igor before he was even hired, which results in this one probably cutting a little deeper than the beloved Earl Watson being let go, Max. (laughs) And yes, I always try to be positive on this pod and look forward with the Phoenix Suns. But, a big giant butt here Max, every man has his breaking point and I think this might be mine. Not so much that eagle has gone, I'm a big boy, I can live without him, but I've seen so many Suns fans in the not so distant past say they're done with the team and frankly, I've always laughed at them. As if you could turn your back on your own team, I would say to myself. But fact is, there likely comes a time with all of us where there is just so much incompetence that it becomes really hard to see a future. This franchise is fucking broken, Max. It's not even about was Igor a good coach anymore. It's about even giving yourself a chance to be good. As a team, as a franchise, as an organisation. So before we all talk ourselves into giving James Jones his proper shot at being the guy, or before we all jump ship when Devin Booker demands a trade, I have to get a few things off my chest. As I said before, I put a lot of time into learning about Igor. In fact, he, Luca, and Aiton are probably the three prospects I've spent the most time on ever, to a point where I felt like I could talk to just about anyone about them. I was so invested, but I was well-researched too. I also said before Igor was hired that someone like Booker would likely initially turn his nose up at the suggestion of Igor and probably Luca too, but once he got playing with both, he'd understand their value. Booker is now a euphemism for the fan base, I think, Max. We're all Devin Booker, trapped in this perpetual downward spiral. He never got Luca, although I'm sure Booker took notice of what he did in Dallas this season. And I don't think he ever truly got the Igor Kokoskov experience either. And that's my point. None of us did. I want to take you back to when Igor was hired, Max. Sava, McDonough, and Jones all said a similar thing about the appeal of Igor. They said he doesn't have a system, but he can coach to whatever personnel he is given. I'm starting to think, Max, that the three of them maybe took that of some sort of personal challenge to give him the most inept, unbalanced, and rubbish roster that they could come up with and say, coach that, Mr. Basketball genius. And here is why. A few dates to start, Max. June 21, 2018. Do you know that one?
0: Uh, is the NBA draft?
1: It is the NBA draft. The Suns pass up the chance to draft Luka Doncic number one overall and give their new coach both a lead distributor with whom he is very familiar and one that is also very familiar with how he likes to play. And I want to use this point to outline the rest of the discussion here. I like Aiton Max. I've said that numerous times. I had them both very close in the draft. But we're talking about whether this organization gave this coach the best chance to succeed. Have you been paying attention to what's dominating these playoffs, Max?
0: I think we talked a lot about it last uh, week, David.
1: We did, and I'm sure the listeners have been paying attention too. So straight off the bat, we have strike one in my book. One month into the job. Then July 1 hits. The Suns use all their cap space on Trevor Ariza. Again, a move you and I both supported at the time, but one with added context now was a total fucking disaster. Not only was Areza woeful on the court, he wasn't the leader the Suns talked him up to be for Igor. And I can still see the stupid look on McDonough's face when he boasted that Areza was a guy <laughs> that Igor had mentioned during his interview process. So, okay, Suns, you got one guy you went after. Good job. Just settle on the rest of your laurels. A rookie head coach will sort the rest out. Executive of the year type stuff there from the sun. So don't bother to make any trades after the fact to help at point guard or anything like that. One reason why we didn't mind the Ariza deal so much and the cap space, Max, is we still expected something else. How stupid we were, Max. <laughs> Which brings me to the next date. August 3, 2018. Any idea what relevance that one has, Max.
0: August 3, 2018. That's a little early for the Melton trade, so I'm not sure.
1: We signed Isaiah Kanan, Mm. Max. (laughs) We released a cool little video about his journey back from injury and everyone had good feelings in their belly for a little while. That was until they actually kept him on the fucking roster and he became the starting point guard of the team, Max. A true pointless guard for a pointless front office, Max. (laughs) August thirty. The trade that you just mentioned, Brandon Knight for Ryan Anderson. The only thing I can really say about that one is they got rid of one of the worst power forwards in the league in return for one of the worst power forwards in the league. And we got D'Anthony Melton, as you said, Max. Who, as you know, we could only sign for two years because they refused to waive Tyson Chandler early. Then they eventually waived him anyway. Three cheers for all that competence, Max. <laughs> September 10, Max. Ring any bells?
0: Uh, It does not. What is is a 10-per-10, David?
1: What if I said unicycle gate? Oh, God. That's right. Devin Booker has hand surgery, misses the entire training camp and preseason, and Igor is left without his franchise guy and key offensive weapon when trying to teach... team his offense. Not exactly ideal, Max, but at least we got all those cool videos of Booker scoring on KD at USA Camp and slow-motion Instagram posts of Booker pumping weights. (laughs) So, I always like a quiz when I've got the mic. So, eight days out from the start of the season, what happens, Max?
0: Is that when Ryan McDonough was fired?
1: (laughs) The Phoenix (laughs) Suns fire their general manager. I remember sitting there like Nick Nurse in the playoffs trying to pick my chin off the floor. Did Robert Sava really just let a guy take charge of one of the most important decisions in franchise history, spend all of our cap space, make a trade, and then fire his ass. I'm not sure that I ever saw that one coming, Max. (laughs) And that is where the pointless front office comment from before comes from. So, what happened... One day before the season started, Max, October 16, 2018 to be precise, the Suns got their second primary initiator, Jamal. I look like I'm about to shit my pants when I run a frass break, Crawford. (laughs) So let's recap quickly, Max, because I want to draw attention to something Jones said in his press conference the other day. He said that the Suns shifted focus during Igor's tenure. They started with Ariza, Anderson, and Chandler and wanted to win, then moved to having four rookies in the rotation. He didn't even mention Crawford or Kanan, probably not wanting to draw attention to the fact that the Suns literally hired a guy known for ball movement and gave him no NBA point guard. Pretty incredible. So I want... Everyone listening to ask themselves, was that a fair rotation to give a first-year head coach and expect him to hold the team's attention? Remember what I said up top about Booker learning to buy into Igor once he saw the results? The results were very much dependent on him having the pieces to actually illustrate it. The Suns gave Igor a turd and asked him to polish it. He was literally doomed from the beginning, and I feel stupid that I didn't even see it myself, Max. But I promise I won't make you listen to this much longer, or the listeners. In fact, I want to throw you in a little bit more now, Max. How many players do you think saw the floor for the Suns during the season?
0: Oh, good question. Uh, I'll say 20.
1: 24. Wow. Remember Quincy Acey? (laughs)
0: <laughs> I actually liked him a little bit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, that feels like an eternity ago, though, after the rest of the uh-huh. season, right? Yes, it does. How many different starting lineups? I'll give you a clue. It's more than the number I just mentioned.
0: Jesus, really? Um, I mean, it's already way above what I would have said. So I guess I'll say 30. <laughs> 28 of those, Max.
1: 28. Wow. Something to illustrate the point Jones made about flipping the switch halfway through the season. By December 17 or Game 30, Max, Chandler, Kanan, and Ariza were all off the team. That's all the so-called vets, plus Anderson, who'd already shown himself to be unplayable long before that. Max, by the end of the season, Crawford, Daniels, and Fredette were the so-called vets Mm. with five years experience or more. They had 28 seasons between them, most of which came from Crawford. But the 12 other guys on the roster are the ones with zero to four years experience in the NBA. Next question, Max. How many seasons total do you think they had between them? Oh, man. Um, 10? 20. Hmm. So just one more than Crawford on his own with five rookies, Max. Five. So now we have to read all this bullshit and all the leaks about how Igor lost the team. Of course he fucking lost the team. The Suns, by their own admission, brought him into coach to his strengths and then gave him nothing to coach. Then to add insult to injury, pun intended, there were five guys on the roster with three to four years in the NBA. Booker, Holmes, Warren, Johnson, and Kelly Oubre. The Suns briefly went at 500 pace for a dozen games or so after the All-Star break, with most of these guys healthy. Max, how many games total between those five guys do you think they missed over the course of the season with injury? A a,
0: a lot. Um, Man, over 100, right?
1: Not quite. 93 games, Max. Wow. And how many games, I guess, as a result of that, started by rookies? And it's much higher again.
0: So, okay, so a total number of rookie starts. Total number, yep. That's definitely got to be over 100, I would think, but I don't know what it is. Maybe, like, 150?
1: 176. Wow. So part one of the team, Eagle, was supposed to coach a bunch of geriatrics with one foot already in retirement, and part two, he had that. (laughs) That's why I say miss me with the whole, well, he only won 19 games, you know, crap, because it really doesn't prove shit, Max. And here's what Jones had to say in his radio interview the other day about the little streak that they went on when everyone was healthy. We saw a stretch where our guys consistently competed with the best teams in the league, and they won. They went into hostile environments and pulled off some great wins on the road. But more importantly, you saw, prior to the injuries, a sense of identity and a sense of collective ownership with the young guys in the franchise. Is that right, James? You're telling me in the one instance this season where Eagle had a half-competent roster, the results were also pretty good? I'm... I'm kind of shocked Max but here's where it ends and I appreciate you and the listeners indulging me this long already has a rookie head coach ever had it himself set up to fail by his team better than this that's rhetorical Max you don't have to answer but my guess would be no I'd actually happily shout out probably bring anyone on the pod who can come up with a worse string of events in an NBA coach's first season so whilst I've been happy to admit Igor made his fair share of mistakes Max you mentioned a lot of them off the top so I won't repeat them but it's also that if Jones felt he wasn't the man then he's certainly better to probably make a shift now this is where I want to get clear Max this isn't some sort of final referendum decision on Igor and his ability to be a head coach because for people who jumped in my mentions on Twitter and said they were right and I was wrong and all that crap after the firing it really hasn't proven shit all it's proven is that the Suns continue to be a complete fucking shit show of a franchise and one that I won't even try and defend against people that fire off the jokes anymore. They've just got too much ammunition, Max. It's all there. So Jones can avoid any direct questions on Eagle all he likes. And the Suns can leak the shit out through the normal media cronies that they always do. And we've already seen it happen. Like how he didn't connect with the team or had a language barrier, but it's simple. It's on them, not Eagle. They hired a rookie coach and did not support him. I hope we don't get Deja Vu again very soon. We still don't know if Igor can be an NBA head coach, Max. He wasn't given the proper chance. All I know is he was hired as one of the most respected assistants in the league and several have already come out in defense since the firing too. Coming up to 20 years in the NBA, part of a championship in the NBA with the Pistons, an assistant with the Clippers, Cleveland, Orlando, Phoenix, and Utah. He was head coach of the Georgian national team and head coach of the current European champions, the Slovenian national team. And by the way, Max, he coached both of those teams in English. Let's just get that straight. (laughs) Because he didn't speak their language and they didn't speak his. I also learned everything I know about basketball philosophy from Igor through his online tutorials. He taught himself to a stand full of up-and-coming coaches. And Max... I only know English. (laughs) So if you think you're being smart with your reports or takes on it being a big reason why you didn't connect with the team, try fucking harder. Finally, Max, and this probably speaks the loudest about the franchise we are talking about, they waited two fucking weeks after the season to do it. Doesn't seem that big of a deal, I know, but this is a man who moved his entire family to Phoenix, tried to settle back in, And a guy who had his own citizenship ceremony at Talking Stick Resort Arena, on the Suns basketball floor. And this is how he got treated. There's the brutal business of the NBA, and then there's just being straight up assholes. And I won't give this organisation the hall pass of the former anymore. It's all the latter. When they show time and time again that they act with zero professionalism, stability, or compassion, there's really no other choice. So I hope the Suns have made the right call. I'm sure they have their reasons, as we've said, and Igor definitely wasn't without fault, as we've said many times already, Max. But I also hope like hell that the next coach gets a much better run at it than Igor did. Like I said, the Igor era is done now. He deserves another chance with a more stable franchise one day, but sometimes you only get one shot in the NBA, and that's why after all the dust is settled, I really only feel bad for him. Because if that ends up being his shot to prove himself, he was flat out robbed. Because the question for me was never, what did Igor do in year one for the franchise to deserve a second year? It was always, what did the franchise do for Igor in year one to not owe him a second year? I'm done. The rant's over. But I'm not done with the team because I'm an idiot, Max. (laughs) But as I've said earlier, I am almost D-O-N-E done with this team too. Something has to change. And we really all have to hope for right now that something is Jones or that we just luck into a stupid amount of talent that can overcome dumb human intervention, as we've mentioned before, Max. And that probably comes in the short form in the way of Zion. But that's it, Max. Thanks very much for giving me the floor. And uh, I don't know, you doubt me, but we may never talk about eager on the pot again.
0: That definitely lit up the hype, David. Uh, (laughs) Great job. (laughs) I will say, I think that your argument for the incompetency of the Suns' front office and the way they built this team and the way it set up Igor is essentially infallible. I don't really know how you argue against that. It's just true. So you have to, if you're you're going to support this firing, you're going to have to say that really, regardless of the context, Igor just wasn't going to be a good coach. And I think that's a really hard thing to say given, like you pointed out, the fact that he's shown on many levels that he was a good coach. Uh, including both the national teams and as assistant coach of the NBA. Yeah. So if if you really think you've seen enough based on this last season, uh, when that when that was the context, that's what he was in to to say he could never be a head coach ever going forward. I, I just think that's it's kind of a hard conclusion to reach, and I think that you may not be uh, you may not have as much evidence for the position as you think that you do.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's where the line is for me. I, I'm very. Uh, happy to admit that the Suns have made this this decision because there was probably some reasons that they refused to come out publicly and say that uh, he's just not going to be the coach for this team going forward. But um, he could have if they gave him the, the proper chance up up top. They, they kind of ruined the 12 months, not him. That's, that's my
0: opinion. Yep, yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, real briefly, the last thing I want to touch on here is just uh, you know, we kind of have to talk about who the next coaches are going to be. Yep. Just because that we're a Phoenix Suns podcast, and that's what we do. Yep. It really looks like Monty Williams is the favorite. Um, I, I think that it, it, not even just our favorite in terms of the Suns' favorite, but also I think just the favorite in Vegas to be the coach. It seems like there's a mutual interest there,
1: and a favorite a favorite around the league. It seems mm-hmm. I can't remember who made the comment, but he, he's the hot property on the coaching market now. Apparently,
0: yeah, it seems like he's. I, it's for whatever reason, the Lakers I think are going to go a different direction. Um, probably a LeBron, you know, driven thing. Tyler! But yeah, Tyler. it seems like that's what they're gonna do. Uh, <laughs> an I emotional really...
1: chord, Max. He struck an emotional chord. Did you God, read what that? What the hell could he
0: possibly <laughs> do? So stupid. For me, it's. I think it's gonna be Monty Williams either comes here or he stays with the Sixers. Uh, I don't think the Sixers are gonna fire Brett Brown. So my guess is that Monty Williams is gonna be the coach of the Suns. And listen, he was not a very good coach. The last time he was a coach, at least X's nose wise, one hundred and
1: seventy three and two hundred and twenty one losses.
0: Just throwing that out there. He wasn't a good coach. Um, and, and listen, sometimes guys improve. Uh, we'd be kind of being hypocritical if we said that you know we didn't think Igor could improve. Yep,
1: and he's he's gone through a, a lot in his life in the last little while, and yes. uh, h- has come out the other side. And I think that's why he's a, a bit of a favorite with. Um, the league in general. So, yeah, I'm not going to tie, you know, five years with the Pelicans and his record to kind of saying that he's not possible to be a good NBA head coach. But he, I, you know, I guess like with all existing coaches, you can kind of see the warts and all compared to some of these up and coming assistants.
0: Yeah, and listen, uh like Nate McMillan, it was a joke when Indiana hired him because he was so slow in Portland and, and mm-hmm. didn't seem to understand the modern NBA. And listen, I guess the. Four or five years off, or maybe not been that long for him. Maybe it was like two years, but that, you know, sometimes guys learn, they d- uh, develop. So maybe Monty Williams is just a different kind of guy now. And, and I get where they're coming from in terms of wanting the guy who can give the you know the rousing locker room speech, the guy who's going to be the father figure that everybody can follow. I, I get all that. I understand it. I don't think it was fair to Igor or anything like that. But I do understand what James Jones is thinking when he's looking to somebody like Monty Williams.
1: Yeah, I, I I 100% agree with that. And that's where, you know, I, I'm going to do the best job that I can to uh, separate, you know, the Igor discussion with this new head coach. As I said, that's in the past. Now it's done. So, you know, I agree with you. I'm definitely not the first person to say this, but th- it's got some Mark Jackson warriors about it, I think. I think the Suns front office feels they need a more, you know, rah-rah head coach uh, to get in the guys' faces a little bit. And then, you know, maybe Monty stays around for a while, but then, you know, maybe you see them flick the switch with the more tactical coach when they've got all the pieces and and developed everything. So that seems to be where they're going. I don't expect a resolution anytime soon. I think the only thing I'd throw in on top of what you said is there's bound to be more other jobs Mm -hmm. that pop up. And if he really is the the hot property on the market, it would probably be smart for him to wait because there might be some playoff teams that give him an opportunity to interview and, uh, I guess, you know, as much of the Sons of Telegraph this one, they are also interviewing uh, Nate Tibbets and David Vanderpool from Portland. So uh, we didn't get anything from Woj after those interviews. I, I think that was supposed to be yesterday or today. So um, that'll be interesting. But Tibbetts is very much a new assistant coach, only really linked to, to teams in the last couple of years. I think Atlanta's the first time that we saw his name come up for an interview and Uh, Vanderpool goes all the way back to like 2013 with the Philly job, I think. So he's a little bit more experienced, Max.
0: And then listen, I I'll I'll dive into those guys if it looks like they're going to be possible head coach candidates. But can I just say it'll it's going to be a fucking disaster if they hire somebody like that. If they they really just fired Igor just to go to another unproven assistant coach, when you know, by the way, unproven assistant coach is probably not even the right label for Igor. He's probably one of the more proven assistant coaches. Yeah. If they if they go to one of those guys. Man, that's just that doesn't make any sense. Like going to Monty Williams, I understand the thinking behind it. You need an adult in the room, quote unquote, sort of person. Yeah. So if they would have hired him like immediately, like if that would have been the first thing that happened on Friday or whatever, like I think I would have understood this whole thing more. But man, if if they if this takes like a month, and especially if it takes a month and they don't get Monty Williams and instead they hire one of these Portland guys, that's just it just. Really just feels like ranking Kywinens to me. I-, I could
1: feel another rant coming on, Max. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> but yeah, I think you're right. And I think there is
1: mutual interest between Monty Willie and a lot of this stuff with the firing of Igor and saying they're going to go through a process and stuff. You know, a, a few people have already commented. They're just, th- they're maybe just throwing some names in there that they know that should be thrown in there, particularly Vanderpool because everyone seems to interview him lately. It's like mm-hmm. the Philly job, the Denver job, the Atlanta job, the Charlotte job, the Cavs job this year. He's kind of been in there for all of them. So I think they're locked in on Monty. Uh, Whether he's locked in on them or not, you know, it's a risky call because, you know, As I just said for 20 minutes, the Suns are kind of abject disaster, really. So it would would take a lot of courage or maybe a lot of money to take on the job. That's all I'd say. Yeah, right.
0: Money is really the trump card. Sarver is not, he doesn't have the reputation for somebody who would just throw all the money out, particularly when he's already paying uh, uh, McD. The trump
1: card, Max. I can't let
0: that one go. The trump (laughs) card. (laughs) That was not intended, I assure you. But, uh, yeah, you'd think that would have been the thing. right? And the report from Woj was that they didn't give him an offer, which surprised me. Yeah. Um, but maybe that's because they got uh, you know, an indication from him that he wasn't going to be making a decision that day, so it wasn't a point to do so. Yeah, we'll see. Man, I, I would put him as the heavy favorite to be the next coach of the Phoenix Suns right now.
1: If he wants the job, it's his. I think we, yeah, can, uh, yes. we can say that. If he wants the job, it's his. That Woj line about um, not offering the job again I think comes to a perception thing. They they could have easily said to him, hey Monty, if you want the job, it's yours, let us know. But if they just... Fired Igor and and hired Monty after their first interview. They kind of leave themselves open to all the criticism that we've already seen around you know, not conducting a proper interview process. And and Jones had already said that that's what they were going to do and take their time. So they'd kind of look like hypocrites if that came out, I think.
0: Yeah, that's, that's probably one half of it. The other half of it, I mean, just from Monty Williams' perspective, if I were him, I would not be rushing to figure out who I'm going to coach before the lottery happens. (laughs) yes I I want to see that first and then not only that but I want to see if I have a chance to be the next coach of the Philadelphia 76ers first yeah because that's obviously a preferable job to the Phoenix Suns job so there's really no reason for him to rush this uh he should take his time and whether the Suns would hire him or not outright or whether they do the process I think I don't think it's really their choice uh David anything else on this or should we go to did you know
1: let's move on all right take us away well, Max, we're up to episode 44 and Paul Westfall was just picked to go into the Naismith Hall of Fame recently, so this only felt right. So, did you know Westpole chose the number 44 because he admired Jerry West, but also because he was drafted by the Boston Celtics, who didn't give him too much to choose from, Max? The Celtics, by the way, have 22 retired numbers. Well, wow. You can't have double zero, one, two, or three, nor six or ten. Nothing between 14 and 19, then nothing between 21 and 25, and nothing <laughs> between 31 and 35. But back on Paul now. He's going into the 2019 Hall of Fame class as a player. He played six seasons in Phoenix, averaging 20.6 points, 5.2 assists, and 1.6 steals and in 465 total games. That's good for eighth all-time in scoring, assists, and sixth in steals. He will be the 11th son into the Hall of Fame. So, Max, time for your first quiz. How many of the other 10 sons in the Hall of Fame can you name?
0: Oh, God. Uh, Charles Barkley. One. Steve Nash. Two. Uh, did Walter Davis make the Hall of Fame? No. Oh, what a travesty. <laughs> uh, Cotton Fitzsimmons?
1: Uh, is not. Really? Well, as a player. As a player, sorry.
0: Oh, we're just doing players? Yeah. Okay. Uh, is Connie Hawkins in the Hall of Fame? Uh, he is. Okay. Uh, how about Alvin Adams? Is not. Is not. Okay. Um, why don't you just tell me who's in the Hall of Fame, David?
1: <laughs> Hawkins went in 92. Gail Goodrich in 96. Charles Barkley, as you said, in 06. Dennis Johnson mm. and Gus Johnson in 2010. Uh, this one cheats a little bit, but Shaq in 2016. Nash, as you said, in 2018, where he was joined by Jason Kidd, Grant Hill, and and Charlie Scott so that rounds out the 10 max
0: I probably should have gotten Grant Hill and Jason (laughs) (laughs) Kidd
1: we've covered his playing career with the Suns quite a bit in Did You Know previously so instead I wanted to bring up a couple of stories about unlikely friendships I found while researching his coaching career first I came across a story on what looks to be Paul's own Facebook page run by his wife Cindy of all people Hmm. the story is from 1988 remember that for later Max 1988 it tells of a guy named Paul K, marching into Paul's office when he was the coach of the Grand Canyon College which is now GCU and in the end CAA coached by Dan Marley Paul K worked for Whataburger, and after Arizona State said no to a sponsorship offer, he tried Grand Canyon. The Antelopes happily accepted the money, went on to win the NAIA National Championship, which I just learned was a thing that existed, had no idea. <laughs> and they presented Paul K with his own championship ring. He and West Paul still remain lifelong friends to this day, apparently. Now, Max, the inclusion of ASU is interesting for a couple of reasons here. Number one being, I believe they are your college team, right?
0: I did go to undergrad at ASU, yes.
1: All right. So did you know 36 NBA players have been drafted out of ASU in history? And I'm sure you can see the second quiz coming here, Max. (laughs) How many can you name?
0: I don't want to go through 36 players, but I will say that I'm watching one of them right now who's clearly the best player ever at ASU, and that's James Harden.
1: Correct. I've only got a few other names written down, because there wasn't too many important ones that came out to me, but is there anyone else off the top of your head? Let's
0: throw out uh, Eddie House, yep. uh, I, Diago, yep. Di- Diago. Oh, what's the guy with the Pinter whatever? God, what was the guy's name? I'm blanking. He played around the same time that Harden did. I'm
1: not following you on that one.
0: P- Grass. Pinder... Uh, uh, Jeff
1: Ayers, Jeff Ayers, who became Pendergraft
0: Yeah, that guy, that's the one that was jumping out at me But yeah, I'm not going to go through all these guys, you can go ahead
1: Well, you've named most of my list I only had Byron Scott and Fat Lever on my list after that yeah. But there was also one more that I noticed from all the way back in 1975 And that I know mostly as a coach Any idea who that might be? No, let me have it Lionel Hollands Oh, okay now, there's a reason I mentioned Lionel, and it's where the second Wasp Paul story kicks in. Not only did he star at ASU in his playing days, he also went back there to coach and was an assistant for three years. Max, final test. Do you remember that year I mentioned earlier?
0: 1988, my birth year, actually.
1: Yes. Hollins was an assistant with your school from 1985 to 1988, the same time West Paul was at Grand Canyon. In 1988, they were both tapped on the shoulder to become assistant coaches for the Phoenix Suns under Cotton Fitzsimmons. Westphal was focused on offense and Hollands on defense. Funny side note and an extra tie-in, Dan Marley, who I mentioned before, credits both coaches from those Phoenix days, making him the offensive threat and defensive stopper that he became. Then in 92, Westfall took over as head coach, and Hollands remained his assistant until 95, including a finals appearance and two other playoff runs. They both went their separate ways after that, and fast forward all the way to 2014, Hollins became the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. And of course, who became his top assistant, Max.
0: Paul Westphal.
1: There we go. So not only were they two friends, they worked together as assistants, plus as an assistant to the other as head coach and vice versa. And that's it for this week, Max. Hopefully we can hire a coach that can get us to the finals and potentially even draft a player like Dan Marley in the 2019 draft, which I believe we're going to jump into right now, Max.
0: We are, and I'm glad that you had some positive coach talk after some negative coach talk. That was nice. Alright, let's move into our draft stuff. Uh, just real quick, because this is the first time we're doing this. Uh, we're going to bring a guest on to talk about, uh, briefly to start the, the big three prospects, Zion, RJ, and Javarant, but then also to specialize on three other guys whom our guest has followed closely and uh, is somewhat of an expert on. Uh, this week we're going to do DeAndre Hunter, Brandon Clark, and Cam Reddish with Alessandro Kotze at AliKotze1 on Twitter. Uh, many of you probably know him as a great contributor to Sun's Twitter. He also contributes to Red Team Scouting mm-hmm. and knows more about this draft than basically anybody <laughs> I know. Ali, what's up? Uh,
2: hi guys! Excited to be here. It's first time for me on American Pod, so can't wait. Yeah.
1: Hey, that's pretty cool. That's that's really cool. I, I'm glad to hear that, and I'm I'm very glad to have Ali on. Max, this is going to be fun. He knows a lot more than the both of us two do right now. I, I'm happy to admit that.
0: There's no doubt about that. It's also fun to have an, an Italian, American, yeah. and Australian on a podcast together. This is really showing you what 2019 <laughs> is all about. Uh, real quick before we start, Ali, I like to get an idea of guests, especially on drafts, about their kind of overall philosophies, because I think it's really important mm-hmm. uh, when you're scouting prospects to sort of, you know, have a, a philosophy of like kind of the things you look for, the things you like beyond the talent and athleticism things that we're all looking at, just what do you, what would you say that is different about the way you look at players as far as, you know, everybody else? I don't know if if it's different from everybody
2: else, but, like, most of people tend to look at the draft as, like, a potential thing, so they rank players in terms of uh, their, only in terms of their potential or if they think that they can be, like, a great scorer or a great playmaker, but I think that the most important thing to, uh, to do when you rank players is uh, rank them in terms of value. So it's like, uh, since it's a projection and like all statistical projections are based on a distribution, you have to kind of figure out what's the distribution of every player so for example some players are uh, skewed to the, to the right so like they have a, a very high potential but low floor and I and others are like uh, more normally distributed so like safe prospects so that I think that the draft is more like a probabilistic uh, exercise than most.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point. A lot of, a lot of times when we look at this stuff, it's, it's like you either like this guy and think he's going to be a star or, or you don't. But really what you should be trying to do, I think is your point, is figuring out the probability that each player is going to be each outcome, right?
2: Yeah. And
0: also like
2: different players sitting different levels of their outcomes. Accounts for like different uh, types of uh, value. For for example, if a pure center, it's the under percentile of his outcome, but he can not create and is not uh, like a top three defender in the league. Is not going to uh, provide the same value of a great playmaker or a great uh, wing initiator. So that's another thing to consider when you're ranking prospects. I
1: I love this point by by Ali already, Max, because you know this is something that I've as I've been covering you know I guess two or three of the last drafts have, have changed myself I think I fall into I, I've already admitted with a prospect that we're gonna discuss pretty soon that I, I fall into these traps of looking at just potential um, rather than value across the board so yeah I'm, I'm very excited to discuss these guys with Ali purely because he, he definitely looks at things in in a way that I tend to uh, not too, at least naturally.
0: All right, let's get into it then. Uh, like I said, we're going to start each week with the with the big three guys. Just a quick a quick uh, take from our guests on each one. <clears throat> so let's start with Zion Williamson. Uh, Ali, I, I know that you love him as anybody with a brain does. <laughs> but uh, the, the question we've been asking uh, sort of ourselves and we want to ask all our guests when they come on is, what, what do you think Zion Williams' biggest weakness is? Because although he's obviously one of the best prospects any of us have really seen, no one's perfect. So what, what about Zion would you say scares you the most? Uh, I
2: think Zion is a very complete prospect, but like I'm not, I'm not completely sold like, on his ball skills in terms of like, he has good vision, but sometimes he fails to, for example, eat uh, shooters. Uh, in the corners so i'm not really sure that like uh it gets compared a lot to wing initiators like lebron etc but i I don't know if he can reach that level yet so yeah i like to see him in in the with NBA spacing because in like many of you already know at duke he had horrible spacing around him besides reddish so it will be definitely interesting to follow like his growth as a playmaker and as a decision maker with the ball in his hands i really like his ball handling but like he has to get better at uh, passing
0: on the move definitely an area of improvement from you, and that's and that's a key one too because that's kind of the most important thing you can be. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's important. For
2: example, I I just finished watching uh, Celtics box and like the Celtics exploited Janis. Uh, from that point of view, they dared him to eat the shooters, and sometimes he failed to and like tried contested uh, shots at the rim instead and uh, failed to, to it so definitely a weakness I think that that's probably like something that can limit his ceiling.
0: At some point I'm going to have to brag uh, to David that I said Boston was a sleeping giant and Milwaukee might struggle but that, we'll, we'll, we'll wait on that I, I'll uh, I'll just throw in <laughs> I, I've had to wake
1: up very early for this pod Max but uh, if I had time I was actually going to find your tweet where I'm pretty sure you said that Boston were going to win game one. Oh
0: I already quote tweeted myself on that one don't worry. I, I, I'm I not <laughs> <laughs> <I'm not considered. laughs> All right, next one, uh, Ali, on RJ Barrett. Mm-hmm. Uh, the default question we have on this one, and, and if this one it strikes you, then you can answer it or you can just kind of say whatever you want to say on RJ. The question we're asking is kind of how do you think he would fit with the Suns' core? Because I think that people have a hard time conceptualizing what RJ is going to be in the NBA. I don't know the,
2: the fit with the Suns because like they are still a work in progress. As much as we like to think that they already have their core, but it's difficult to say now because teams like when they are still in the rebuilding process, uh, they always change a lot before like they can become like a playoff team or like a contender. So it's difficult to say. But I think that uh, Barrett needs uh, to to create like within the offense. I don't like him when when they let him uh, create like in iso mm-hmm. for example like ma- ma- many times duke did uh, at the end of the games i think uh, he's uh, really good like catching it on uh, pin downs and like on the move in general because he's uh, a very, uh, really uh, he has a really good stride so he can get to the rim and he has a really good strength for a for a 19 year old wing so i think that's that's where uh, how you, are, you are going to use Barrett uh, at, at the next level. Let me throw this I'll throw this to you
1: first Max and then Ali can jump on the back of you. If, if RJ Barrett was plugged into Josh Jackson's role with the Suns this year, what do you think we would have seen? Would
0: we have seen I guess better results than Josh Jackson? <laughs> I mean yeah, but that says more about Josh Jackson than RJ Barrett. Yeah uh, R- RJ is just he, I mean I think there are I see why people are compare those two. Because there are some similar things to them. They both aren't the best decision-makers of all time. <laughs> they both can struggle with efficiency at times. But mm-hmm. R.J. Barrett, to me, is just a more complete player, mostly because of his ball-handling ability. Yep. Uh, Josh Jackson's not bad for his size, don't get me wrong. Um, but R.J.'s really, really good for his size. Uh, and I, I think that he projects to me more as an initiator than Josh does. I, I just think he'll control the ball better and, you know... I don't know. I, I see the comparison. I think there would be some of the similar similar weaknesses. Just he just be kind of better all around. Uh, what do you think, Ali?
2: Yeah, I agree that his ball handling is more polished than Josh, but I think that it's also like a big area of improvement for him. Mm-hmm. He's a lefty, mm-hmm. and he struggles with the, his right hand when he has to dribble with with his right hand, uh, like many lefties do. Uh, as I said earlier, I think that. The most underrated aspect with him is his strength. Yeah. Like many uh, busts, uh, like uh, like Wiggins, for example, or like maybe Josh, if we can consider him a bust, uh, lacks, uh, lacks strength. And I think that's a very important trait to have, especially for a wing, because if you can't create uh, separation very well, you have to be very, very strong. For example, Kawaii. After his injury, he can't create separation anymore. Like with his wiggle, he lacks a, li- a little bit of wiggle, but an explosion compared to uh, to the level. Uh, of a player he was before but he has an outlier level strength maximizes his ability to uh, cre- to create and uh, to score in iso so i think that that's definitely yeah like his most underrated strength
0: yeah that's a great point because that's something that just plagues josh jackson is just like a strength he's so slight and he just can't He can't finish through anyone, and the fact that he's not a graceful finisher in any way either, it leaves him without very many finishing options. Uh, David, did you want to go on there? No, I think the
1: only thing I was going to jump in and say is Kawhi's not doing his... Robot reputation any favours With with how stiff he looks out on the court Just backing up what Ali said there But yeah, I think that's a great point I think that's why people who are still high on RJ Barrett um, Really see him as, as translating over to the pros really well Because he's already quite big And he's got a big frame that you can see he's going to be able to continue to add on to. Whereas I guess with someone like Josh or even Mikhail Bridges, you you kind of, they've got the dimensions, but they just don't have that frame where it's going to be really difficult to to add the weight onto and and keep the fluidity, as Ali mentioned. So, yeah, I think that's probably a a great point to to leave
0: on RJ Barrett. Speaking of struggling with your frame, uh, Ali, Ja Morant, (laughs) where do you have him and do you think he's someone whom the Suns should consider seriously?
2: I have Ja fourth right now, behind uh, Zion, of course, uh, Culver and uh, Barrett. I'm still deciding between Culver and Barrett because, like, it's. I think it's very, very difficult to separate them because Barrett is a better offensive player in my opinion, and Culver is a much better defensive player. So, mm-hmm. I don't know how I'll end up with them, but I think that that's how my board is going to shape up before the draft.
1: We're going to flip around a lot on these guys, so you, you don't need to make any apologies for uh, not being quite too <laughs> sure with Culver and RJ just yet.
2: Yeah, not at all. <laughs> I really like Morant as a prospect, but I think that his ability to, to score is a bit, is a little bit overrated by the general discussion. Yeah. I think that he's going to be like pass-first point guard more than anything because I, I don't trust a lot his ability to score, especially in the floater range and I think it's very important for a primary creator uh, but also on the other end, since he's a right now is a defensive sieve you have to give the ball give him the ball because otherwise you are not going to like um, extract value from from the pick so yeah. if, if the Suns uh, decide to draft Morant their are number one uh Goal should be like trying to incorporate Booker and Morand without compromising the uh, ball movement because it can get stagnant at times. Uh, Both are very good pastors in terms of vision, but sometimes they are a little bit wild with their decision making so. Uh, it can be rough at times.
0: Yeah, it's the, the the big key to this is going to be if you draft Morant, trying to figure out how to make him and Booker work, not only on defense but also as you pointed out on offense, it's going to be it's going to be challenging. Mm. Uh, it's also something something that doesn't happen right away. It'd be amazing if it did. So, man, in my opinion, if you draft John Morant, uh, and I will let you respond to this first, David, then then Ali can respond, then we'll move on. I think you're going to suck next year if you draft Morant. I'm not really sure how you don't.
1: Yeah, this is this is one thing where, you know, all of us being friends on Twitter and, and talking about these things at length, I, I know that we all three agree on this before you even ask the question, because uh, I've seen Ali make the point many times before, which would be the, the same point that I would make, is if you start him for his, I guess, long-term development, the Suns are going to suck, and as we know, the Suns don't really want to suck again next year. Uh, and then, if you don't, I guess he comes off the bench. It might be better for him and the team shorter term. But, you know, how you bring in a starting point guard or whether you just go with someone like Tyler Johnson or something at starting point guard, I'm not too sure. But, Ali, I'll let you jump in here. But I, I think I know what your answer is going to be around what you would do with Jar if the Suns did draft him.
2: I don't even think it's a moron thing. In general, like 19 year old point guards are going to struggle. Yeah. The last point guard t- I remember that did very well is Damian Lillard, mm-hmm. who played four years in college. So yeah. it's very difficult to, to be a, a good floor general from the start in the NBA. For example, this year, this year we've seen a Young excelling at that, but it still took him a, a few months. Yeah. And even later, like he's a, a Atlanta built the entire offense around him. With the Suns, it's not going to happen. Like even if uh, whether they draft Morant or another point guard, it's not going to happen. And so, like even Sexton, for example, it, it, I think it would be a very similar situation to Sexton uh, last year in Cleveland, who had a very good counting stats but struggled with uh, his uh, yeah. his impact.
0: Yeah, and I, I think you really touched on an important point there, and that's that Atlanta turned everything over to Trey Young, and even Cleveland turned everything over to Collin Sexton. Suns can't turn everything over to John Morant because they have Devin Booker on the team. <laughs> yeah. So it's going to be really hard to figure out how, how you know those two are going to work on the floor together. I think that's really the, the key point coming from this. Uh, but let's move on. This is not a podcast about those guys. This is a podcast about three other guys. Uh, we're going to start with Cam Reddish. I'll give a quick breakdown of who he is, and then David will give a quick breakdown of sort of where he's being drafted in mocks mm-hmm. so far, and then we'll let you lead the, the discussion, Allie. Cam Reddish is a 19-year-old freshman from Duke. He's listed as 6'8", 218. Uh, seven one wingspans. What I've seen listed, but you can never really trust those early high school wingspan measurements. Uh, he'll be twenty years old in September, so he's he's a young one. Yeah. Uh, David, where is he being drafted? He's really interesting. Just before I jump into that, it's not by
1: design, but it's quite interesting that we've kind of got this grouping of three guys, all kind of six seven, six eight. Um, project to be kind of combo forwards in the league, so I'm interested to kind of compare them all really, but Cam's an interesting one in that um, most of the mainstream draft sites have him much higher than um, I guess sites like the stepian and Ali's site, Red, so yeah. um, the, the Stepion have him at 12 in their combined one, which hasn't been updated for quite a while Ali, you guys have him at 14, I believe, on your big board of, of guys that you've um, released profiles on so far the Ringer have him at seven max. Uh, Sam Vecini at the Athletic has him at eight. ESPN has him at seven. Bleacher Report has him at seven, and a Yahoo big board that I found has him at five hmm. max.
0: All right, Ali, you're the you're the expert here. What is your just give us? I guess I guess just your overall take on Cam Reddish. What you saw from him and what it tells you about him as an NBA prospect. Uh, You know, Reddish
2: is a divisive prospect because, like, his freshman season at Duke, let's face it, it wasn't good. Like, he was terrible from, from, like, every uh, part of the court Mm. from an an efficiency standpoint, especially at the rim for a guy at his size. Prior to his freshman season at Duke, uh, Reddish uh, spent most of his career as a primary ball handler and a point guard for his high school team. And like he showed a variety of moves, for example snake dribbles, hesitations, spins to create space, but I think that uh, what's holding him back the most is his inability to create separation in general, especially uh, in terms of finishing at the rim. Like, he's a very good shooter. He shoots a lot. He's, uh, he's in the 100% in terms of three-point attempts among uh, players that declared in the last six drafts. So, like, he really likes to shoot. But most of the time, uh, he's, uh, he's doing it, spotting up. He's not uh, a dynamic player of the dribble. Although, like, in late clock sh- situation, he, he, he can uh, he can go to his... To his uh, spin move and like he has a nice turnaround jumper but overall he, as I said he struggled with his efficiency and mostly it's, it's uh, about his, his lack of explosiveness his agent uh, told like uh, reporters that he was uh, uh, he was injured this year so we'll see next year if <laughs> some of his ex- explosiveness will be back uh, last point I like I made a joke on Twitter a few days ago. I kind of compare him to like wing version of Dilo on offense, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. because like D'Lo, he struggles taking contact at the rim and
0: uh, uh, going to the line, so that that's mainly the comparison. It's actually not a bad comparison at all. Uh, I, I was actually about to get into some stats that back up sort of your assessment of him. One of them is his mediocre free throw rate. I think is in the low twenties. Not good. Uh, he had 1.9 assists, 2.7 turnovers, which is Oof. terrible. Uh, he was. Uh, you you mentioned Allie, that he f- struggled to finish at the rim. He was under forty percent from two point range, mm-hmm. uh, which is really bad. Uh, under fifty percent true shooting, uh, just just under, but still under. Uh, his best skill is shooting, which I agree with Allie. He, I like the fact that he gets a lot of shots up, but he only shot thirty three point three percent. And listen, some of that is just he didn't have great looks. Uh, Duke's offense was not you know it wasn't ideal for anybody. But, I mean, if, you're, if your primary skill is shooting and you shot 33.3% from the college line, that's not ideal. Yeah. Uh, he also has a flat arc. That's why
2: probably his percentages aren't great. Like, his, uh, his elbow is very narrow, like the angle mm-hmm. uh, he has. And his wrist bends a bit too much. So, like, the shot comes off a, bit, a little bit flat. So some of his misses are are a little bit, like, Mm. uh, too long or too short because of that.
0: And I want to get to one more stat before i let David jump in with his assessment, because I think you know where I'm going with this. I I don't like him. (laughs) Uh, But this stat is the one that really got me the most. Uh, Jackson Hoy from the Stepien, you both know well, or listeners probably know as well. Yep. Uh, He did this really cool thing where he set up a model that predicted a player's height based on his stats. I like it. And and basically what, what he was doing on the floor. Without inputting the height at all, it's it's great. It's really cool, and it's going to actually apply to two guys in this discussion. Yeah. But the model predicted Cam Reddish at 6'4", <laughs> which I think I think shows you kind of what kind of player he is. He just does not play to his size and, and in his, yeah. his what his you know physical ability should tell you. He plays like yeah. he plays like a, a, a specialist shooter basically, uh, and that's just not somebody you want to draft high. And uh, I know there's some you know. In high school, he showed some things that were intriguing and the reason why he was a top three prospect going into college, but I think I I try not to, you know, hammer too much on a non-ideal situation and 30-game sample at Duke, but man, oh man, it's about as bad as it could have been. David, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I think both of you have summed it up perfectly on Cam. You know, my thoughts have have already been um, said on this pod before of, you know, my nickname for Cam and my love for him that I, I can't quite quit, but... Yeah, you know, I think what you're saying is, you know, a lot of those mainstream draft sites, they're not quite ready to quit on him either because of the physical profile and what he may become whereas Um, You know, Ali at Red and Mm -hmm. uh, the guys there and the the Steepian are a little bit harsher on him for, I guess, what he did produce at Duke. And, you know, my only thing with him is, you know, we do give Zion and RJ a little bit of a a break sometimes because of, you know, the fit at Duke and the way that they played. And I'm happy to extend that a little bit to Cam as well because, you know, 7.4 three-point attempts a game, as Ali said, 100 percentile there for attempts from three i think i saw something the other day where his nba threes were actually better than the 33.3 percent um which you know could lean to a little bit more spacing and and shooting a little bit better from even deeper max but you know i kind of see him as my favorite you know jack of all trades guy i suppose in the draft but he's definitely sliding down my board purely because you just don't want to take a guy like this too high in the draft,
0: so I'm not going to pin you down on this yep. exactly yet. But where, where, what range do you think you'd have him in?
1: I reckon he's going to be in the Bridges' range from last year mm-hmm. for me. In the NMAX. Max. So he probably started in the top five for me, and then be, and it, it says probably more about this draft class, which we're going to get into in the next few weeks, than Reddish himself. That he still manages to maybe sneak inside the top 10 max and that's purely because there's probably not too much pressure on him from others elsewhere at least from from where i sit although you know i've seen there's been plenty of people that are happy to slide him
0: back
2: a lot further than that
0: ali but. how about you personally because i uh i know where your sight is on him but where, where do you have him personally yeah
2: i have him in the late lottery but like in his defense i really like him as a defender like i think he can be like yes mikhail bridges type not in terms of effectiveness, but in terms of role at the next level. Yeah. I don't like him on like bigger wings and bigs in general, but I think he's pretty good at the point of attack and like is a man of ball. He has a really long wingspan and like is uh, really good at playing the passing lanes. I think he was incredible uh, in terms of uh, transition defense. I saw him a lot of times like completely. Uh, blowing up plays like with his length, yeah. covering two two guys at ta- uh, at the same time with length in transition. So like, I'm re- if he buys in, uh, I think he can be a great role player. But he has to buy in because uh, from his interviews and like from from what we are hearing, he he thinks he's a uh, point forward and he wants to be a main creator. And I think he's not going to succeed at that at the next level.
1: I'm really glad that Ali's mentioned that, Max, because for someone like me who saw him as being... I guess, a little more capable than what he probably is going to be in the pros. The defense is actually the thing that swung it back around for me. He's incredible on that end and and one of the best prospects that I've scouted so far from this draft as a defender, as Ali kind of just broke down then. So the thing with me is like, if he just shot, you know, if he shot maybe 36, 37% on those threes and then showed the defense that we saw him play at Duke, all of a sudden you're probably talking about about him being the best three and D guy in this draft. But I think people see that 33% that you outlined before with the, the high attempts and, and kind of get a little bit lower on cam. But as Ali ended with their max, it, it all comes down to his attitude. I think if he's willing to come in and, and play that role and, you know, to his credit, he didn't really sulk at Duke, even though he was the third option on that team and things weren't really set up for him to show his strengths too much. So if he can continue that attitude into the pros rather than the attitude that Ali's mentioned in, I guess, uh, interviews prior to college and things like that about what he wants to be as a player, then I think there's still something really interesting worth looking at there with with Cam.
2: The last thing before going on, uh, I think that I would have him higher... If he was better at attacking closeouts because, like, even past three and the prospects like Bridges last year was much better than him at attacking closeouts and yeah. finishing in general.
1: Yeah, so. that's that's a real concern. But over to you, Max.
0: Yeah, I think, and I, I guess I'll give where I have him. I mean, I don't know exactly yet. I'm, I'm probably leaning more towards late lottery, uh, like Ali. Mm-hmm. For me, it's like if, if you're putting him out of your lottery, if you're taking sort of like, like just to put a name out there, tie Jerome over him, I think you're just kind of missing the boat. He, he had thirty games that were sh- like shitty. Yeah, he, he had a bad situation to do. It, it didn't make sense for him, uh, and he struggled. Uh, but it, a lot of the things that made him such an intriguing prospect are still there. It, it's, like Ali like was getting to earlier, the probabilistic outcome is less yep. than it was before, but it's still there. And in this shitty draft, like I think you just gotta, you know, at a certain point, you just. Take him and pray that he hits his high percentage outcome. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right, let's move on to somebody who I like a hell of a lot more, and I think we probably all do. Uh, His name is Brandon Clark. He's from Phoenix, Arizona. He is. Desert Vista High School, which I grew up very close to. He is a 22-year-old junior from the Gonzaga Bulldogs. He's listed as a 6'8", 215-pound forward, possibly small ball of 5 in the NBA. We can get into that. Uh, the wingspan I'm seeing for him is about 6'10", uh, not confirmed, but it, it looks about right based on the eye test. He will be 23 in September. David, where is he going in the mocks right now?
1: This is why I mentioned this grouping up the top, because this one's really interesting. He, he's kind of the flip side of, of Cam Reddish. The the Stepien have him at 5, uh, Red has him at eight and then everything kind of goes out from there the ringer have him at 10 sam vasini has him at 12 the last time i saw espn has him at 14 max and bleacher report has him at eight i'm not even going to mention where yahoo has him because i think (laughs) it's a joke so uh that's pretty much yeah as i said the opposite to reddish in terms of where i guess mainstream sites and, and dedicated draft sites have him currently going in the draft and the last thing i'd add before we throw to ali is uh I have nicknamed him Stretch. <clears throat> mm, interesting. <laughs> uh, I'll give a shout out to Ross Homan on Twitter who's uh, a great follow for anyone who's wanting to follow the draft he works for the Steppi and he, he kind of got me onto that he, he posted a little thread a couple of days ago where he illustrated Clark's body control which is probably something we're going to get into but he has this knack of, of keeping his lower half pretty much straight up and down while contorting his top half and, and finishing around the rim and that's where the stretch kind of comes from for me because it reminds me of a, of a stretch Armstrong doll that I had when I was a kid, Max, where you could kind of manipulate it in any direction that you want. And obviously the, the arms as well and the shot blocking lends itself to that nickname as well.
0: Oh, I love it. That's a perfect comparison. Uh it really We watched on film. It really is amazing how he can just kind of contort himself to score really from any angle. Yep. Uh but Ali, we've we've spoken enough. Yet yeah, you're the expert. <laughs> what is your take on Brandon Clark? For whoever has not
2: watched Clark yet, he's like a human <laughs> Yep. Like his, sec- <laughs> yep. his his second jump is incredible. He uses it both on offense and on defense. He's like uh, he was the best finisher in the NCAA at the rim last year. Better than Zion. Better than, uh, the, than Jackson. Ace, what's, so. what's
1: that awesome? That awesome stat that he has. He you know, more more shot blocks than missed shots. I think for, in the yeah, yeah, just ridiculous. Yeah,
2: yeah. In general, like he's a guy that plays through his strengths. So I I don't think he'll be as mobile five in the NBA because uh, I don't think he, his frame is good enough. For example, people, some people who are who are really really high on him, say that he can play the Draymond role, but like Draymond is uh, 240 pounds and like has a 7'2 seven, seven wingspan, and Clark yeah. isn't even close to that. But he's a very, very good prospect indeed. He isn't a one-trick pony that was good at 23 years old. He was good even like in past season, but he didn't get enough recognition even from like draft side and in general. Yeah. As I said, his touch is incredible at the rim, but even like on uh, on runners and uh, in ge- finishing on the move uh, in general, it will be impossible for for bigs to keep up with him in transition because. He's like an bol- adequate ball but his speed is incredible. So like if Phoenix, for some reason picks him. Like it will remind uh, sans fans of uh, a little bit mm-hmm. of a Marion in transition.
0: I I I'm gonna jump in here, David, and then I'll let you go. Do it. I'm in love with Brandon Clark. <laughs> uh, I I think he's incredible. Um, I mentioned Jackson Hoy's model that predicts players' heights earlier. Because one of the, the key criticisms of Brandon Clark is that he's 6'8", right? Yeah. yeah. What is
1: he, like, a eight foot eight or something in that model, Max?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's not quite there, but he is the number one uh, in terms of the most, the higher, the taller than he is in actuality. The model b- thought he was 6'11". Yeah, okay. Uh, which will not surprise you if you watch him. Yeah. Because he makes up for his size with his anticipation and his bursts. Mm-hmm. He absolutely plays bigger than he is constantly. He had a 19 BPM, a 70 true shooting. And I don't even like the stat, but he had 37 PER. Uh, usually a terrible stat, but when it's that high, it, it says something. Yeah, Dude's just really fucking good at basketball. Um, he, and, and, and I hear the, the age problems, and I get it. You, you generally want a younger prospect, all things being equal, because uh, there's more room for growth. But guess what? When the guy's already fucking good at basketball, I don't care as much about that. Yeah. Uh, so let's go ahead and start getting value on a rookie deal with this guy. Because he's going to be good right away. I think that he is, other than Zion, the, the, the guy who, if the sun's drafted, he would help the most right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, his floor is insanely high. I also think that there's some uh, offensive upside people are overlooking just because he is such a good finisher. He also can attack off the dribble a little bit. Uh, I just think he's really good, and the biggest flaw with him, and it's it's a large flaw, as we've talked about on this podcast before, shooting is very important, and he can't shoot at all from, from deep yet, it, but there's some encouraging signs there, though. He, he started with a woeful free throw percentage at San Diego State. He was like 56, 57 yep. last two years. He's now 70 yeah. this season. I think it's important to see that trajectory. Yep. To be fair, it's, it's still an issue, but in this draft where there's so many issues with so many guys... I uh, I might take him number two overall. I'm not gonna commit to that yet, but I, I, I he's gonna finish either two or three for me. Guaranteed. I, I just I love him. I think he's I, I have no doubt in my mind he's gonna be a good NBA player. Uh, the upside, I guess, is the only question mark, but I, I see some of the upside too, so I'm all in, David.
1: I, I like it. i I'm, I'm gonna just I guess talk from more of a Phoenix perspective here because uh, both you and Ali have touched on most of the things that I had down for Brown and Clark. You know, I think just to, to back up what both of you said, particularly what Ali said, he was... A little bit unheralded because he came from San Jose and um, redshirted before uh, starting at, at Gonzaga. So that's kind of where the age comes in. Uh, I'm not as concerned with the age, uh, like you said, as well, Max. I think, um, if anything, if, if Phoenix slide in this draft, I think I mentioned it last pod, they should be looking at some of these older guys, which both Brandon Clark and DeAndre Hunter, who we're going to talk about next, are both in that kind of upper echelon of the age bracket it all comes down to the shot at the end of the day. It is kind of the elephant in the room a little bit when you, when you break him down as the prospect, but there are some positive signs that it can improve Um, is probably the big thing of, of whether he can be a, you know, an upper starter in the NBA, I think. And, And particularly on Phoenix, which I guess is where I'll, I'll roll into. I'm fascinated about this fit with Aiton, Max. I think Clark can come in as an older guy and, Come off the bench, play some backup four, maybe some backup five. Obviously we all differ a little bit on what he may be able to do as a as a five, a small ball five, but particularly as a backup to start with, I think he'd probably be okay with some of the lineups that we see <laughs> second units from other teams kind of roll out. But for me the fascination with Aiton is I watch this guy's timing on cuts and, you know, back alley plays and I just automatically pitch it DeAndre getting attention on the post and DeAndre is a good passer like if you're open he will hit you and I think we spoke about this a little bit with DeAndre Ayton when we were breaking him down as a prospect we didn't see it a great deal in his first season but vertical spacing it's a it's a weird term it's a a relatively new term but if you have Brandon Clark Cutting from the other block or or down the middle when DeAndre Ayton's got the ball, the vertical spacing there because of the the pogo stick nature of this guy. Every film highlight that I watched, every breakdown that I tried to to take in Brandon Clark film, it was the number one thing that stood out with me the high the whole time. Like his timing to the bucket and then his ability to finish around the bucket. You, you pair him with DeAndre Ayton, and that's something that you could really look forward to in the future, Max.
0: I agree. Ali, uh,
2: yeah, you, you take over here. Guys, talking about the shots, like, during his, his red shirt here, he tweaked his mechanics completely. Yeah. Like, he had a terrible form before, so it's, like, he's still developing, but, like, I think he'll be a fine as a spot-up shooter, uh, which is, like, enough for a 4-4 for in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And like, as, as you said, guys, I think with Aiton, like the defensive fit will be incredible. Because let's face it, Aetern is not the best rim protect in the world, especially coming from the weak side. Exactly. And like, <laughs> Brandon Clark is, plays like a free safety. Like, he's really incredible at um, coming from the weak side and uh, clearing, clearing it up with like, uh, with a weak side block. And as I said, like, his second jump is really good. So even even when, like, guys use a fake, immediately recovers and blocks the shot. And sometimes, like, he, he seems even surprised he got there. <laughs> so he's a really fun player to watch. And, like, as, as you said, guys, he's really technically sound and, like, Also, he knows his role, so I think he will be really good in Phoenix.
1: Yeah, we we talk about those, you know, I I go over it a lot probably too much, Max, that the boxes to tick with a point guard next to Devin Booker, you've kind of got to start to think about that with DeAndre Ayton and obviously someone who can shoot the three, um, weak side blocking and rim protection as Ali just outlined, and then just, you know, kind of general fit between the two and how they can play together. Um, and Brandon Clark ticks a lot of those boxes The the outside three is obviously the biggest one right now that you'd hope he can develop but you know then again there are a lot of people very hopeful that DeAndre Ayton is going to be the one that can be the the outside three threat and then all of a sudden if Brandon Clark has all that room to operate in himself it's just something that I get excited about not not saying you draft him and, and start him next to to DeAndre at power forward but you know if the Inevitable happens, and Phoenix slide in the draft, and everyone gets upset. You know, if a guy like Brandon Clark's sitting there, I, I definitely won't be upset, Max.
0: Well, think about this. Like, remember when we put Dragon Bender into the starting lineup, and that stabilized things. Lately? Exactly. Like, I mean, yeah. Brandon Clark's a hell of a lot better than, than Dragon Bender is, man. So, at the very least, you're upgrading from there.
2: He can also like run a lot of uh, a lot of similar plays to Bender in terms of passing, like from the elbow. Yep. Like Brandon Clark, is capable of making those those dragon bender passes, so. I think it would be a really good fit with uh, DeAndre. Yeah,
0: let- yeah, the assist numbers don't jump off the page, but you do see it on film that he can he can throw the ball around a little bit. Uh, David, what were you saying? I just want to
1: throw this question at Ali. I mean, you've already made your your feelings known here, Max, with how high you're probably going to put him in the draft. But, you know, let's say Phoenix does fall in the draft, Ali, and, and Brandon Clark stays a little off the radar in terms of definitely not being a top three pick or anything like that. Question without notice, but is there a higher... Uh, upside pick in the draft that, that isn't Brandon Clark?
2: You mean if Phoenix, for example, falls to seven? Yeah,
1: six or seven or something like that. Would, would yeah. there be anyone else that you would take over Brandon Clark?
2: Probably not. Like, I have Clark six yep. right now in my board, so I'd prob- probably take Clark. But also, like... I don't know how Jones and like the new coaching staff will see the players. So maybe like the new coaching staff w- will want a different type of player at the four position. So I yeah. don't know.
1: I mean, we're all the same there, Max. None of us have any idea what Jones or, or the new coaching staff that no. we don't currently have yet is thinking. Well, so. I, ho-
0: I hope that they're uh, looking to get good basketball players on the team. Yep. Uh, that's generally what I like, and if that's what they're interested in, then they'll be interested in Brandon Clark. But we should go ahead and move on. <laughs> Next is DeAndre Hunter. DeAndre Hunter is a 21-year-old sophomore from the NCAA champion Virginia Cavaliers, and he was a huge part of why they're the NCAA champions. Mm-hmm. He's listed as a 6'7", 225-pound guard, although I don't think he's going to be guard in the NBA. No, definitely not. He's a big old 7'2", wingspan, so that's that's encouraging. Uh, he'll be 22 in December. David, about where is he going in drafts right now?
1: Steepin has him 10. Red has him 11. The Ringer, San and ESPN all have him at 5. Bleacher Report has him at 10. And Yahoo has him at 10. So it's a pretty consistent, I guess, inside the top 10 one there, except for Red currently. And I guess that perfectly segues into the format of of this pod, Max, I think, you know, Cam Reddish was the, the expert one up top. Brandon Clark was the one that Ali was higher on than most, um, in, in the general consensus. And I believe Deandre Hunter is one that he's a little bit lower on than the general consensus.
0: Ali, take it away.
2: Uh, yeah, I'm not low on Hunter in terms of, like, I don't have him in the 20s, but like Reddish, I have him in the late lottery range.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I think Hunter is going to be a really solid player, like he's going to play 10 years in the, in the NBA maybe. But when I watch Hunter, I see a large wing, with a solid ball handler, like he has a nice crossover and left to right between the legs. Uh, Uh, move Mm -hmm. Uh, but he hasn't flashed yet the ability to chain his dribble moves together so he doesn't have a ton of shake and like that factors into the fact that he's not really good at passing on the move he he showed nice vision in stationary situation but like he's not a dynamic player of the move both as a passer and as a finisher. Mm-hmm. I, like, he's not really good at finishing, especially uh, like when he has to take contact. Uh, and, that's, uh, I, and that's a concern for me. Like, as I said earlier with Radish, like, uh, being able to absorb contact for a wing, especially attacking closeouts, uh, if you are not really explosive, is the key. And as I said earlier, also Hunter is not really explosive like like Radish. Other than that, obviously he's a more polished player than uh, than Cam, both on offense and on on defense. For example, like he has a two point, a, almost a 2 assist to turnover ratio. Like he really makes like plays. Yeah. He plays within his role. He knows his role and plays within his role. And in general, like. I don't think that is going to, uh, in like the in the most probable scenario, is not going to be that type of player that is going to provide like so much value that it will be justified to take him uh, in top five because like, why is he's, he's a good defender? Like, he's a good uh, on-ball defender and he can switch on smaller players. Yeah. He is um, not dynamic enough, uh, in my opinion, to be a full-time three for a very good team and on offense I mean and like on defense he struggles against uh, bigger players not only with Zion because I mean nobody in college could guard Zion but like (laughs) in general all year he struggle against uh, bigger players and while I think that his ideal role uh, in the NBA would be like playing at the four on offense but it's going to be difficult to like find an ideal uh, role on defense unless he gets picked by a team that understands the his weaknesses but right now like he gets painted as a lockdown defender and and I don't think he's going to be that type of player, especially since like as I said he's not that explosive. Like he's really sound with his footwork and like he uses his strength well but I don't think he's a high ceiling defender. Like No,
0: I, I think that I totally agree with you on that. I think you're dead on. Um I see him as he has a couple of skills that we all want, right? The Duke can clearly shoot. Mm -hmm. The Duke can clearly play defense at a a certain level that is going to be useful in the NBA. I just don't see a lot of the connective tissue. I I don't see the floor game kind of at all with him. He's not a passer. Uh, You'll you'll just lose him on offense sometimes. He'll just sort of disappear. I'm not sure if he, he doesn't totally passed the good at playing basketball test for me. <laughs> he obviously has very good basketball skills. I just I don't see it all put together. And I mean I you know the one time that's really uh, the high profile time that's pushing against my take here is the championship game where he was awesome and really won the game for Virginia. Yeah. But even there it was a lot more of him just using these skills than anything else and Yeah. He... And I think he's one of these guys. I think I think you're hoping this is the kind of prospect you're hoping to find in the 20s. You don't want to have to take this guy fifth. Yeah. This, this is somebody, uh, you know, what's the guy from Minnesota last year? They, they took the wing. Um, uh, who was really good. Okoji. Okoji, yep. Yeah. yeah. You're hoping to find that guy in the twenties. And I, I think that's kind of what he is. Maybe he's upside slightly higher, but for me, not enough to, to really throw him way up on my board. I mean, just because this draft sucks, I'm probably going to end up having him like six or seven, <laughs> but he's just, he's just not that exciting to me. He's not an exciting prospect. He's, He's, I think he's okay. He's fine. I think he'll be a good NBA player, but not something to get excited about. What do you think, David?
1: This is why I love having someone like Ali on a, a pod like this, Max, because he he pretty much covered off all the notes that I had down for DeAndre Hunter, and I can kind of just fill in the, the gaps a little bit. One thing I will say on you know on top of Ali's assessment of him and, and yours too, for anyone who doesn't know a lot about Hunter, go and read Cole's Wicker's February piece on Hunter, which I think... Gives you a pretty good feel for Hunter, even though it was written a couple of months ago and and covers on a lot of the things that we've discussed here. Um, I think he's he's a high-floor, low-ceiling type player, just to, I guess, wrap up what both of you have said, really. I think the kind of guy, as you said, Max, that you want to pick maybe at the end of the lottery, uh, if not even later than that. But again, this draft class is going to maybe mean, particularly because he's going to be seen as a winner now, that he kind of slides up, draft boards instead I think he's really intriguing as a, a small ball four I think you know we see the playoffs come in the NBA all of a sudden Jay Crowder's playing the four for Utah there's several teams throwing kind of three wings out there and an initiator and a big and I think that's where he's really going to I guess excel in the NBA my hope for him is that he goes to a good team where he can do that right away and does get taken, I guess, a little later in the draft or, you know, maybe by a Boston or someone that has multiple picks because yeah. that's where you're going to see the best out of DeAndre Hunter, I think. And yeah, I'd probably, you know, if the Suns didn't have Mikhail, maybe I'd be a little bit more intrigued by him. If you're really in on Devin Booker playing point guard and, and surrounding him by wings, then I guess Hunter's a guy that you would, Think about bringing in to Phoenix as well, but yeah, I think he's kind of, at least on what I've seen, he has a, a pretty poor feel for the game, and you know, pretty much no weak side capability as a big, I suppose. Uh, and a limited offensive game, as as you touched on there as well, Max. So there's kind of red flags all over for him with taking him too high in the draft. But I'd throw this question at you both. Ali, you go first, and then and Max can go after that. Mm-hmm. I think I know the answer from both of you, but it, it, is he or Clark a, a better fit with the Phoenix Suns?
2: I think that's to be Clark, right? Mm, yeah.
0: You know I answer.
2: <laughs> as I said earlier, those guys that provide so much value in the playoffs are guys that make impact plays on defense. Like, the PJ Tucker of the situation is, like, is obviously undersized for the position, like, he's 6'4 mm-hmm. or 6'5. But, like, uh, the PJ Tuckers are guys that unbelievable in terms of strength and, like, are able to leverage their their strength yeah. in order to make impact plays. Are all Iiq IQ guys, and that's not a concern with Hunter. Yeah, he's, like, he's a really good in terms of uh, you know, in terms of position IQ, but I think that if you can't finish, like, if you can get there, but you can't finish the play, like, you can't be those type of the small ball force that are so valuable in the playoffs. Yeah,
0: I, I, I think DeAndre Hunter is going to be a good player for a long time. I think we all kind of do. It's just, it's just lacking that it thing. I don't know. It's like the most, you know, talking head Skip Bayless thing ever to say. It's just like that guy doesn't jump off the screen for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And from a from a, from a Phoenix point of view, I see his ceiling more if he goes to Boston. Yeah. I'm sure Stevens can turn him into something, but if he comes to Phoenix, like that ceiling becomes even harder to reach. David, any any final thoughts before seven seconds or less?
1: Not really. I I think you know. I guess when I watch him, I think of a guy like Torian Prince, who I loved coming out of college, but thought probably a little too highly of himself coming into the NBA. Whereas Hunter at least, you know, I guess being positive here, has the the chance to go the other way rather than trying to scale him back like I think you need to do with Prince to make him a a more efficient player. I think Hunter can come in right away and do what he does and and hopefully build on it. And as you say, I think that's probably better under someone like Brad Stevens. Although I would note that on the limited stuff that I know from James Jones, it, it wouldn't surprise me if he liked a guy like DeAndre Hunter, Max.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you. I could, I could see him being someone that's a, a James Jones's type. Uh, but let's go ahead and move on to seven seconds or less, which is the segment where one of us asks the other and the guests three questions for which the responders have seven seconds or less. To answer david this week it is your turn to ask ali and me the question so take it away it
1: is and i'm not going to uh put you under the seven seconds time restriction here so feel free for both of you to to go a little bit longer if you need to but uh <laughs> my first one it's going to all be playoff lean because we like to talk a little bit of general nba somewhere on the pod max so i'll go to you first and then ali second uh what was your favorite first round matchup and why
0: Um, I'll take Damian Lillard versus the world as my favorite, uh, first round. No, really though. It's just, for me, the story of the first round was Damian Lillard. I think I tweeted this, uh, that game five performance, even though it was a game five in a first round was an all timer, a top 10 all time play performance to score 50 and to hit a a series winning shot from 37 feet out on a step back is it's really just, it's the stuff of legends and it was an amazing thing to watch. Ali. Yeah.
2: I agree with Max also like, I really like the Nets. 76ers matchup like the Ben Simmons uh, Jared Dudley like
1: they're fake fighting towards each other
2: (laughs) the fake fighting between uh, Ben Simmons and uh, Jared Dudley was incredible like it was entertaining even if like the the Sixers ended up for one like it was a really entertaining series yep
1: no, no arguments from me there so next I'll, I'll throw this again to you first Max who's one player from the playoffs that you'd love on the Suns next season there's two rules here it has to be somewhat realistic so no Kevin Durant <laughs> I'll offset that a little bit by they don't have to be free agents though so you, you can think of uh, a guy that, that we might be able to trade for or someone so maybe an, uh, an unheralded guy
0: yeah you really you really stole my thunder there I was going to go with the same answer with Damian Lillard again but uh, that's not realistic <laughs> so I can't do that maybe <laughs> Man, that is a really hard one. I will say, man, I hate doing this just because we always say this guy's name, but I I just want Nikola Miritich on the Suns really badly, man. I just <laughs> think he makes so much freaking sense. I mean, if we draft Brandon Clark, maybe less sense, but he's just exactly what you need next day. Eden. So I'm just going to, for the 4,000th time in this podcast, say Nikola Miritich.
1: Wait, does that mean we root for the bucks to, to go poorly? I think so, yeah. <laughs> Ali, what's your answer?
0: A guy who's a free agent, for example, Aminu,
2: I think it will be really good on the Suns, especially on defense. Like, he's a very good defensive rebounder and, like, uh, an hard-nosed defender in general. Mm. Like, is what uh, the DeAndre Hunter will be if he was a small ball four.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep, I like it. Good tie-in there. All right, an easy one to finish, Max, you first. Mm-hmm. I want your Eastern Conference Finals, your Western Conference Finals, your finals and the eventual winner, please.
0: This is probably going to be recency-biased theater because yep. uh, the, the, I think we've seen some really uh, obvious things to start off the second round. Uh, I think Toronto is going to really wipe the four with Philly and then end up facing... I, 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 before, I would have said Milwaukee in seven, but after today, I think it's Boston is actually going to win. I think Toronto beats Boston. Yep. Uh, Toronto will face uh, the winner of Portland, who will beat Denver, because Denver sucks, in my opinion. Uh, and then I think Golden State's gonna beat Houston, but it'll be really damn close. Yep. Uh, Golden State beats Portland in, in like a six gamer, maybe. They want to make it fun. And then I think I think Toronto actually will take Golden State to seven. Yeah. I, I have a lot of faith in Toronto now. That the way Ka- Ka- Kawhi has now become like Kawhi again, and with that plus with the, the you know the rest of that roster, that's that's a scary ass team.
1: So Warriors beating Toronto in seven though still. Yep. All right,
2: Allie? I think I'll go in the same way in the East. Like, I think that Boston will probably beat Milwaukee in seven and, like, Toronto, I think we will win with in five or six. Yeah. Boston versus Toronto is really interesting because, like, I don't think Boston has anyone to guard Kawhi. It's, like, the the most difficult matchup for the possible for them. So I think I will take Toronto, like, in six or seven. In the Western Conference, I'll take the Warriors in six, and the Nuggets Ooh. in seven because they they have the home court advantage. So I think that it will be very important for them. Like I think it will be a very close series, and probably like it will come down to Game Seven in Denver, and like I'll take Golden State against Denver, and then like the finals. It's really tough because it depends on like whether uh, Golden State arrives there healthy or not because they are already a little bit like injury-plugged. So I think that I'll go with Golden State in seven, I think. Alrighty. Thanks, guys. Thank you.
0: Yeah, thanks. Uh, please, everyone, rate, review, and subscribe, as always. Ali, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, go ahead, promote. Something from your uh, from your draft, your, your very large draft catalog of stuff, <laughs> and also your Twitter account.
2: Yeah, thank you, guys. If you want to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter at Alekots1. And also, you can find my work and the work of other talented writers and draft contributors at uh, redteamscouting.com. So
0: check it out. You should definitely check it out. They're doing some innovative stuff on that website. It's actually really cool the way they're 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 scouting players differently than you've ever seen before. So it's definitely worth the check out. Uh, David, thank you so much for uh, for joining us today. As always,
1: this was fun. This was a, a very fun episode, Max. And uh, we have some more uh, interesting and and cool guests lined up to to do more of these. So. Uh, if you like this one, you know flick us a review and a rating as Max always signs off with but until next time we will see you all then.
0: Thanks everyone.